Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family Radio. Thank you for joining us today. Our topic is helping friends and family vote pro-life. Now, before anybody says, Steve, I'm really busy trying to get my business back on solid footing after the coronavirus lockdowns or just trying to get my family back on a normal schedule again. I don't seem to have the time. And why should I care about all this um, voting pro-life and get involved? Well, in our previous episode, episode 301 of Faith in Family, I showed from the Old Testament that the child sacrifice, the shedding of innocent blood of infants in ancient Israel before the idol, Moloch, it was a primary reason for the destruction and deportation of the nation Israel. Now, I have a quote for you that has really stuck with me, and it's not from the Bible. It's from George Mason, who was a delegate to the U.S. Constitutional Convention, and this is what he said, and I quote, As nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world, they must be in this. By an inevitable chain of causes and effects, providence punishes national sins by national calamities. Okay, if our nation can't be rewarded or punished in the next world, it must be in this. And there's a, a chain of causes and effects in God's providence. And when you think of 62 million abortions in the United States since 1973, this is a critical, critical need for the literal survival of our country. And I realize we have the most powerful military in the history of mankind, but things do happen. Uh, ancient Israel thought they were protected by God's blessings, and a more wicked nation got allowed to invade them because of how they were carrying on and allowing the sacrifice of innocent human life to go on in their very midst. So you really can't say, I don't want to get involved in all this abortion stuff. You know why? Because you are involved. There is a corporate responsibility for each and every community and each and every nation regarding the shedding of innocent blood in their midst. Now, this is a principle that has enduring validity, but the application of which I'm going to share with you from the Old Testament. This is how God had ancient Israel deal with the shedding of innocent blood. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 21. If in the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess, anyone is found slain, and it is not known who killed him, then the elders and your judges shall come forth, and they shall measure the distance to the cities around which him that is slain. In other words, let's say between two communities, uh, a body is found. Somebody was murdered. Somebody was slain. 
Well, the community closest to where that body is found, therefore, is responsible for the shedding of that innocent blood. And so the elders of the city, which is nearest to the slain man, shall take a heifer for a sacrifice, and the elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with running water, shall break the heifer's neck there in a valley, and the elders of the city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley, and they shall testify, quote, our hands did not shed this blood, neither did our eyes see it shed. Forgive, O Lord, thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and set not the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of thy people Israel. Do you see what's going on here? It, 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 this is something very real. Uh, from the first shedding of blood on this planet, of human innocent blood, Cain killing his brother Abel, that blood cried out and cries out to God in a very real sense. And there is judgment will come upon those who live in communities where innocent blood is being shed. That's go back to George Mason's quote or go back to what God did in the Old Testament. This is a very precarious situation in a nation that has spilled the blood of 62 million innocents. So we need to take responsibilities for what goes on in our midst. Now, I went online this morning, and you can kind of find out what's going on in your community. But in South Carolina, the most recent year I could find, 5,778 babies were killed by surgical abortion in my state of South Carolina. That's a real sobering figure. And imagine in the Old Testament, God had the ancient Jews go through all of this procedure in Deuteronomy 21 for just one single person slain. And here in my state, which I have a responsibility for, all of us do in South Carolina, we have a corporate responsibility. Just by way of uh, example, I think what I found is the state with the smallest number of abortions was South Dakota with 444. Now, granted, that's 444 more deaths than should have occurred through abortion, but that's the lowest. And the two highest, uh, New York with over 93,000 and California with over 132,000. We are required to do something about this, okay? There's a corporate responsibility. Yes, you say, well, I didn't get an abortion or I didn't pay for an abortion or I don't do abortions, but we still have a corporate responsibility. That's the Deuteronomy 21 principle. And one of the ways to do that in a country like ours, where you have the right to vote for leaders who make laws, you, write, you have the right to vote for leaders who appoint judges and approve of judges who sit like kings in Washington, D.C., excuse me, declaring what's right and what's wrong. But we have a part in this through our vote. And that's a minimum of what we can do for pro-life as 
a part of our corporate responsibility. So that's why we should do it. And I want to focus rest of this broadcast on how we can do it. We need to do it, but how can we do it? Because there is a potential in our country that's been overlooked that could greatly impact the outcome of elections for the pro-life cause. So I'm going to be sharing with you how you can help your friends and family vote pro-life. Now, if you don't like to do this, you can go back to Deuteronomy 21 and break a heifer's neck and wash your hands over this sacrifice. I'm kind of teasing because this is, in a nervous way, very serious. There is a responsibility that we hold. So we need to do something. We're all busy. We have family. We have businesses. We have ministries. We have a hundred things on our to-do list, and we can't overlook this. We can't overlook this. And I'm going to share with you something important, but I'm going to tell you right up front. What I'm sharing in this broadcast, I've shared with a candidate for president of the United States. I've shared it with candidates for Congress. I've shared it with candidates for local and statewide offices. Now hear this. So far, I don't think a single one of these candidates grasped what I was trying to explain to them. And I think the reason might be it's so simple and these men and women I shared it with were so involved in politics that they couldn't conceive of a substantial answer, which was so simple. Now, you think, well, who are you to go talking about this? And I'm not an expert, but I will say before launching the Family Life Center, I worked for a year and a half trying to help Florida Christians vote pro-life. And um, a part of that work um, helped set up a statewide broadcast, and uh, we had the first lady, president's wife, on the broadcast uh, in Florida. The president sent the vice president down to meet with Florida, uh, what what you call us, uh, grassroots organizers, uh, about a dozen, dozen and a half of us. And they put me right across from the vice president of the United States because I was discovering some ways to help network Florida pro-life Christians to actually vote pro-life. Now, here is the secret I'm going to share with you <laughs> that some very prominent leaders couldn't get. And it's a three-sentence secret that can significantly increase the pro-life vote. Sentence one, a large percentage of pro-life Christians don't vote because they don't know how. That's the most significant statement I'm going to be making in this broadcast. A large percentage of pro-life Christians don't vote because they don't know how. And a lot of times uh, pro-life leaders get very frustrated because they feel that pro-life Christians aren't voting because they're not committed enough to pro-life principles and beliefs and morals. And it's really because they are unfamiliar with the process, which leads me to sentence two. People 
quietly avoid doing things that they don't know how to do. You're like that. I'm like that. People have a tendency to avoid things that make them think they're stupid or they don't know how. One of the things that I discovered back when I was in college and we used to go to a juvenile prison on Friday nights and we'd kind of make friends with you know particular prisoners and one young man I would try to meet with on Friday nights and you know I gave him a bible and he seemed very interested in Jesus and wanted to get his life you know kind of turned around and I kept asking him you know did you did you read the bible this week no did you read the bible this week no did you read the bible this week no and see I could have and probably did very incorrectly assume that he was lacking commitment. And as our friendship developed, he finally told me, I can't read. And so we worked with that. You know, how do you get around that to help somebody who wants to know more about Jesus who can't read? But lack of a reading ability, a lot of people are very, very shy about admitting that. The same way they're very shy about admitting that they don't know how to vote. They're, in all likelihood, they're not going to tell you. So that's sentence two. People quietly avoid doing things they don't know how to do, including voting. Number three, this is the third sentence in the three-sentence secret. Non-voting pro-life Christians will register to vote and will vote pro-life if you provide them with simple assistance. Basically, how-to stuff. Now, I need to, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little nervous here, but I need to put out some advice to my fellow broadcasters, to priests, to pastors, to pro-life leaders, okay? It's three simple steps of advice. First, keep it simple. Second, keep it very simple. Third, keep it extremely simple. We are way overcomplicating it. Uh, there are literally millions of pro-life Christians who are shy about voting because they don't know how, and we have very large numbers of Christians aren't voting, and simply exhorting them to vote, you know, get on TV, uh, get on religious radio broadcasts, get from the pulpit and exhort them, you know, vote pro-life, but without providing practical assistance, it's going to be fruitless. You're just going to make them feel bad, but they're not going to do it unless you provide simple help. So here's some ways to do it. All right. In order to vote, you're going to have to register. Well, if you never registered to vote, you don't know how to register to vote. And I noticed that uh, right here in South Carolina and in particularly my county, Greenville County in South Carolina. And I think it's kind of due to the coronavirus. They really not are real interested in having large crowds come down to the county offices to pay taxes, even though they want your money. They want everything to be done online or to be mailed in or to be called in. So basically, now you go online. It says it takes 60 seconds to register to vote online. So you share with your congregation, share with your prayer group, share with your friends, share with your family. Hey, you know, um, 
you can register to vote. It only takes you 60, 60 seconds, and here's the website. And just be aware, uh, and you might want to write it down for them. Don't just rattle it off, because remember, if you're unfamiliar, you don't know how, you're probably not going to do it. So write down the website, and don't simply Google how to register to vote. Like I, I Googled how to register to vote Greenville, South Carolina, before I came on the air today. And probably the first three or four websites were phony baloney trying to catch my information. You basically want a website uh, link that has the extension .gov, .gov. You don't want a, um, a phony baloney one. And you, you'll, you'll know when you land there, it will be a government office. Okay, so you have to register to vote. Registering is easy, 60 seconds. You can do it online. People need to know that. Okay, and all they need to know is their name, their address, and their birth date. And uh, now in South Carolina, I imagine a lot of places around the country, they also may want a scan of your driver's license. Okay, not difficult. A couple minutes online, maybe one or two minutes. All right, now that's the biggie. But the first step, they can't vote if they're not registered. And there's a lot of unregistered pro-life Christians sitting in churches across America, in your community, in your parish, and uh, in your women's group, in your men's group. Um, you can get people to register simply, and then, or you can even bring a laptop and you know, you're not pressuring them to register for one party versus another, just get them registered. But then a biggie, is getting them practical assistance in choosing who to vote for. And again, I would say my three-step uh, advice is keep it simple, keep it very simple, keep it extremely simple. This has become so way overcomplicated, and the key here is that there's a huge voting block of already committed pro-life Christians if you simply step along with them and show them how in an easy way. They don't need a complicated explanation of all the principles of this or that. For instance, um, how do you know who's pro-life? Like I just went to my county voter uh, office here and it listed all the candidates that are going to be on the ballot in November. Now, I look here on the statewide offices for South Carolina State Senate and the South Carolina State House of Representatives. There's all these different districts, and I've got, you know, three pages of all this. I would take one look at this and just run because you think, how am I going to figure all this out? Well, first of all, if they register the vote and ask them to basically bring their voter registration card to your meeting group or just when you have coffee together. You can do this one-on-one. -on -one. You can do this with a group. Okay, once you get your district, then you can narrow this three-page list down real quick. And statewide offices are really important because statewide offices become national offices. And that's how people move up the line in, in political influence. So you you can have a great influence yourself by state offices. So you can do that. And then somebody who knows the lay of the land, a pro-life leader in your community. For instance, we have a wonderful organization here in South Carolina called South Carolina Citizens for Life. And uh, they have been very effective in reducing the number of abortions here in the state of South Carolina. 
But uh, they're very responsive, and I basically could shoot them an email like, um, who's the best guy running for this or that office, or you know, who's the most pro-life of these decisions, and boom, you know, they'll get right back to me. Uh, there's a newspaper here in Greenville called the Greenville News that I consider utterly worthless for getting pro-life advice because they don't they don't report on it. It's owned by USA Today, and if anything, I just uh, basically vote for the opposite of who they recommend. But um, again, my local pro-life group can provide assistance. There's a little evangelical newspaper that I subscribe to here in Greenville. And one of the main reasons is that they report on local politics and I can find out who's pro-life and who isn't. Okay. So here's something that's a real hindrance. Okay. Let's say you get over hurdle one, get your friend, your family member, the member of your prayer group. Okay. They're registered to vote. And then you get them number two, they've committed to vote pro-life. And most voter guides, a voter guide is basically, it's showing you who declares him or herself pro-life and who doesn't, who supports abortion. And you're not telling them who to vote for, but you're trying to show them who's aligning with your beliefs and your morals and your values. And a voter guide can help do that. But I would dare say about 95% of voter guides only hit the top part of the ballot. For instance, a common voter guide, like say for the November elections, would have the, the president, the U.S. Senate, congressional races, and maybe not too much more. I mean, who am I going to vote for for my state Senate district? Or who am I going to vote for for my state House of Representatives district? Or who am I going to vote for for my county uh, council? These are important things. Now, here's something that's really important because, again, people avoid doing what makes them feel stupid, okay? And if they can only fill out half the ballot, that's like taking an exam. Remember, you're, or let's say you're into the SAT or something when you're wanting to go to college, and you know it's an important exam, and you can only fill out half of it, and you have to leave. Uh, you would feel terrible. Well, that's how a lot of people feel. We just, again, they don't need to be screamed at and exhorted. They just simply need to be helped. And you can simply say to someone. You have done a great service for the pro-life movement. If you simply go in and, you know, there's one or two pro-life candidates you know about, you just check those. You don't worry about anything else. Just do that, and you will be benefiting and moving forward to pro-life movement. It's okay to leave things blank, okay? Now, it's better— if you can help them with the bottom of the ballot. This is really hard to do. And one of the reasons we had success in Florida with the effort that I told you about got the attention of the first lady and the vice president of the United States was that we worked for a year and a half coming up on a November election preparing voter guides throughout the state. 
and not just the top part of the ballot, but we worked with local pro-life groups to start filling in the bottom part of that ballot and then having a template with a very simple way to respond to these questions. So the pro-life voter, already committed to pro-life, already a Christian, wanting to know how to vote, who, who can they vote for who's pro-life? We provided the bottom of that. We had great success with that. And that's hard to do. But, you know, there is probably someone in your parish, your circle of friends, or even your family who's kind of the, um, uh, I don't know, kind of the political aware person, you know, and you kind of know who's running for this or that office, who's pro-life. Have them help you get sample ballots. And that way you can um, take that sample ballot with you right into the voting booth, or now you can request you know, online, you can request a mail-in ballot and you can say, hey, come on over, help me fill out this ballot. People will gladly accept. You're not telling them how to vote. You're just telling them who's pro-life. They already want to vote pro-life. And it's this simple. And the other thing to think about, and I know when we talk about voting pro-life, there's a lot of people trying to confuse the issue. Like there's a certain bishop out in the left coast who says that uh, climate change should be the number one priority uh, for Catholics because the death toll from man-made climate change will exceed the numbers killed through abortion. Well, that's kind of hard to back up. The Washington Post saying, you know, well, voting pro-life isn't just about abortion. Well, John Paul II said, the outcry, which is justly made on behalf of human rights, and said there's a lot of issues, the right to life, the right to home, the right to work, to family, to culture, but these become false and illusory if the right to life, the most basic and fundamental right and the condition of all other personal rights is not defended with maximum determination. In other words, we want to focus our efforts. Pope Benedict XVI, speaking about the principal focus of Catholic interventions in the public arena. And again, there's a lot of voices out there trying to dilute and uh, basically dilute your focus. And if you have so many issues to try to balance you know, you're just going to end up voting for whoever you pick anyhow. In other words, there's nothing that's kind of the rudder to determining any kind of issue which needs maximum determination, in the words of John Paul II, or in the words of Benedict XVI, the focus of Catholic interventions, the first priority should be, quote, protection of life in all its stages, unquote. Pretty straightforward. One of the things that we want to do is vote as if abortion was really the murder of an innocent baby, because it is, and vote as if a baby's life depended upon your decision. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 302 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.